You are Locked On Bills, your daily Buffalo Bills podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Bills Mafia? It's Joe Marino from the Draft Network, and I'm your host of Locked On Bills. Happy Monday to you. I'm very excited about today's podcast, where in just a moment, you are going to hear my conversation with Matt Perino, who covers the Buffalo Bills for Syracuse.com and has an outstanding podcast called Shout. And him and I talk about Buffalo Bills training camp and the Buffalo Bills and the coaches and players from the lens of Matt, who has this unique perspective on the team because he's there. He gets to be in the building. He gets to watch practice. And so we didn't talk about position battles and what players can and can't do and what the offense is going to look like and what the defense is going to look like. We talked about practice habits and media habits and what the coaches do and who brings the energy and you know, what's Josh Allen like at practice, that type of stuff. And so you have that to look forward to in just a minute. But first, let me tell you about North One Bank. North One is better banking for small business owners. Serving small business owners is all they do. North One allows you to manage your money from anywhere, whether you're at home or on the go. Everything you need to manage your business finances is right at your fingertips. Never step foot in a bank branch again. In addition to the features you'd expect like mobile check deposit, cash withdrawals, the ability to send and receive ACH and wire payments, North One is an FDIC-insured account that can save you both time and money. North One integrates with the accounting software you already use, saving you hours of manual bookkeeping. And with North One's envelope features, you can automatically budget and save for things like rent, payroll, taxes, and more. With North One, you'll never pay overdraft or NSF fees again, saving you hundreds of dollars per month. To get started, visit apply.northone.com slash locked. That's apply. N-O-R-T-H-O-N-E dot com slash locked. North One, business banking made for America. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the season. As always, BetOnline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest, and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest, open now at Bet Online. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo where you can make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose... Your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of all the great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I'm joined now by Matt Perino. He's the Buffalo Bills beat reporter for Syracuse.com, host of the Shout Podcast. And let me just say right off the bat that Matt absolutely crushed training camp coverage. Tell you what, Matt, I was looking forward to your daily practice recaps every single day. I knew they would drop 
around 4 p.m. And so I'm sitting there on your writer profile. Refresh, refresh. <laughs> I got the thing bookmarked on my computer uh, just because I couldn't wait to to see what you had to say about practice. And then obviously you and Ryan Talbot with the uh, the video streams and the Shout podcast. I love the way that you and Ryan connect with Bill's Mafia and, and make us smarter and give us the information we're looking for. So thank you for joining me, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks so much for having me, man. I, I, we, we shared compliments in the DMs. I, I listen to Lockdown Bills as much as I can. You do a great job. And it's funny, the, the real motivation for our training camp coverage and the way that it's evolved since I got here kind of came out of what happened with COVID and fans not being able to be there. And so as much as we can, and, and I know fans know that there's a lot of restrictions on what we can report, we try to put them there as much as possible and kind of follow along because, you know, it's kind of a, what bigger bummer is there that you have a team that has a Super Bowl window here and you can't even really be there to experience it in training camp. So we tried to be that, you know, that boots on the ground, if you will. And yeah, the feedback's been great. So thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So that's what I want our conversation to be about is even more of an extension of what you just said your objectives were with all the coverage that you delivered, except for kind of through a different lens. I want to talk about this football team through not so much position battles and what these players have shown you in terms of their football skill, but what they're like in practice. What are the coaches like in practice? And so you have a unique lens. There's not that many people that are at Bill's practice every single day at training camp watching everything that goes on. You are one of those people. And so I think we have some very unique information to share on the podcast today. And so let's get started and let's start with Josh Allen. And my question right off the bat is, what is he like every day at practice? I think everybody observes this guy and understands that he's a grinder and a hard worker. But how would Matt Perino describe his practice habits and maybe how have they changed through the years as this guy entered the league as a rookie and now is, you know, universally accepted as one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? Yeah, look, you go back to his rookie year and, you know, you could see the wide-eyed, like, information tracking happening on a daily basis. And I think that we've seen, like, a steady progression in that department where as he's understood things more, as he's gathered more information and gotten more comfortable, you know, with what he's supposed to be doing, you've seen like little like glimpses into, you know, the steps that he's taken. So I think his second year when he came back to training camp, I remember him, you know, spending some time off to the side with Zay Jones. And I asked him about it in the press conference right after. And I said, you know, you spending a lot of time with Zay Jones over there. What was going on? He's like, well, I just took this off season part in part getting to know what everybody else's responsibilities are so that I can be there to kind of guide them in and be the quarterback. And that was like the first step where I was like, man, like that's, that's pretty like um, a pretty good jump from year one to year two to, to be able to not only do that and understand what other players are doing, but then also be able to help them in practice and, and be that extension of the coaching staff already, you know, as a guy that was still trying to figure his own stuff out in a lot of ways. And Look what Zay Jones goes on to do. I mean, he had a career year there before he had, he he moved was moved on. This year, fast forward to 2021, and I'm amazed at his ability to keep it loose, have fun, but also be ultra dialed in at every moment of practice. 
And he'll go from racing Davis Webb, which everybody sees those videos. They're fun, right? To veering off to the side and working with the offensive line for like a good 10, 20 minutes where he's actually, I saw it the other day. Um, at, I think it was a practice in the stadium right before the uh, game. He was off with the offensive line group, the entire group. So like you're talking about one through 16 on the depth chart. Bobby Johnson was on kind of the outskirts there. And he was basically like, it looked like detailing what he wants on certain plays. You know, he was obviously going to play a lot in this game. So, you know, and he was going like person to person. I mean, the eye contact, the, the level of focus that he has, I think that that permeates on the team. And, and I think that the guys that they've brought in here over the last couple of years, like Stefan Diggs, probably more than anybody, continue, continuously raise his game in so many different ways. And, you know, I think they kind of feed off each other in a lot of ways. But um, I think it's just a rare situation. Like, obviously, I've not covered any other quarterbacks. Like, they're their trend or their kind of line from when they were drafted to now we're entering year four for Josh Allen. But what I can say is the, the good things about what they've done building around him, the continuity and the coaching staff, the players that they've brought in, he's so comfortable in every part of it from what he's supposed to do in the off season to what he tries to execute and, you know, how he tries to lead in, in the building. And, and on the practice field. And that's probably my biggest takeaway. You know, it's interesting. You think about high-performing athletes like a Josh Allen, and I'm listening to you talk about how he stays focused but still finds those opportunities to interact with teammates and do all the high-fives that we always see on videos and the races and all those fun things. And I think about myself, and I'm not a high-performing athlete, but uh, just whenever I'm dialed into something, I don't have that ability to, like, get myself off track and, and, and joke around about something if I'm dialed in. And I think that ability to compartmentalize is something that's really unique and special about high-performing athletes. And it sounds like obviously Josh Allen has that. Now, Matt, I haven't been to a lot of Bills practices in my life, but I have been to a lot of Carolina Panthers practices. And throughout the years, I was always so impressed with Greg Olson, Thomas Davis, and Luke Keekley. Those guys day in and day out, when you watch them at practice, they just bring elite effort to the table. There's a, an amazing amount of focus, attention to detail, the, their intensity through drills. Like, yeah, I'm watching Thomas Davis in year 11 and 12 of his career out efforting everybody else in that linebacker room, guys that are just drafted. You know what I mean? Like, just an amazing amount of effort day in and day out. And so, my question for you is, who are the players on the Bills that pop like that, that bring that elite effort? And, you know, I, it'd be fun to kind of take this through the lens of you have no idea who these players are. You have no idea who the, the Tredavious Whites and the Stefan Diggs and the Josh Allen are. You've never heard of these guys, but you just watched them for three weeks or whatever at training camp. Who are those guys, regardless of their status on the team, that just pop every day in practice with their effort? I, I'll start with somebody that, you know, it's hard in, in the training camp practice setting for a guy like Tremaine Edmonds, a middle linebacker to pop, like, because, you know, most of the time they're not going up tempo, you know, that most, most days of camp, they're not even really going full thud up. And so for a guy like Tremaine Edmonds, where you'd see him pop on the field, he doesn't really have that opportunity in that setting. So why I bring him up first though, is because 
he's had this such this challenging road in in the NFL to go from being an outside linebacker in college to being the quarterback of the defense for the Bills. His mental space in practice, I've never seen anyone in my four years that's more dialed in from a mental perspective than Tremaine Edmonds. He spends, you know, I hours, hours on hours. That's just what we see in practice because, you know, when, when they're running special teams, obviously him and Matt Milano don't do that. Um, some other players like Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, they're doing kind of side work. You know, sometimes you'll see Stefan Diggs, and this isn't a knock. First of all, nobody practices harder than Stefan Diggs. But there's times that, you know, he's getting ready for practice. He's kind of sitting on the coolers waiting for special teams to be done after he gets in his, his initial work to get ready for practice. Tremaine Edmonds, that's never happening. He's always over with Bob Babich. He's always over with the, with the garbage cans, and he's running through mental reps. They're, they're running through different scenarios. They're running through. I, I just don't. It's why I continue to stay so bullish on Edmonds because I, I don't see anybody else that's putting in the time to have the answers when the questions come up in games. He's putting in that time. And that's always stood out to me. Uh, another, I'll, I'll go to a, the defensive. I'll stay on the defensive side for a second. I wanted to mention Jaquan Johnson because he's a guy that I think of pound for pound. If you're talking about intensity level and practice when he's on the field, it's always at a hundred always. And it's, it's how he warms up. It's how he transitions into, you know, when he gets to go against, uh, running backs or tight ends. He doesn't do a lot of, you know, one-on-ones against receivers. As a matter of fact, the only people we ever really see safety-wise is Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer like to get in there and mix it up with some receivers. But Jaquan Johnson, once they get to 11-on-11 work, he's flying around the field. He's physical. He's engaged. He's, he brings the energy. I mean, I could say that about Micah and Jordan too, obviously. But I think Jaquan Johnson in a lot of ways, ways mirrors them. And, and I think he's kind of learned from that. So I wanted to mention him. His practice habits are are really good, and I think that's why the coaching staff has so much faith in him. On the offensive line, two guys that consistently throughout training camp have been on the sleds before practice, Mitch Morse and Ryan Bates. And if you go back two years ago, Bates, after practice, when we were allowed to be in the facility and see them, them come into the um, indoor facility, Every day after practice, Ryan Bates stopped Mitch Morris, and they'd be on the practice field probably a good 10, 15 minutes after just to go through, you know, I talked to Mitch about this, what what Ryan did wrong, what he's got to do better. Obviously, he's gotten some snaps at center. He could play all five spots. But those are two guys that even Morris, who is the guy that's you know one of the highest paid guys in the team positionally, he's putting in that extra effort even at the start of practice to get ready. Um, so I think I wanted to shout him out too. And then I mentioned Diggs. I think Dawson Knox is a guy that you and I have talked about this on, on our show. Uh, when we're talking about Dawson Knox, it's a guy that's kind of put in every piece of work that he could this off season to improve. And that bleeds into training camp and practice. You know, he's, when he's not doing something team wise, he's off to the side doing something himself. He's always got tennis balls coming at him uh, with Rob Boris, working on the hand-eye stuff uh, off to the side. He's always working um, on his own stuff, route running, whatever, before team because he obviously doesn't do special teams either. I just think that the guys, it's easy to kind of go through the motions off to the side, right? 
But I think the guys like Dawson Knox and Tremaine Edmonds, they take it really seriously. And I think that that's also a big reason why there's this confidence level where, you know, I have this one person that's always in my, or my comments on my replies on, on Twitter. If I tweet out anything about the bills, he always says, give me a Tremaine Edmonds update. Why is Tremaine Edmonds so awful? Like just not a fan of his. Right. And, and there's a, there's a section of bills fans that aren't a fan of Tremaine Edmonds and that's fine. But inside the building, the way that he's treated, I can tell you that everybody there believes in that he's going to figure it out. He's going to be a top tier explosive middle linebacker, whether or not he does that or not. We'll see. It's awesome to hear about those, those habits. And when you talked about Jaquan Johnson, I thought about something that Sean McDermott said after the Packers game in his press conference, where they're talking about injuries and, and what they're going to have to do to keep certain players. And they talked about it being more of a day-to-day injury for Jaquan Johnson, but he mentioned the word that we trust Jaquan Johnson. And what I I gathered from that was that they believe that Jaquan Johnson was going to put in the work necessary for it to actually be a day-to-day injury where they're not concerned about his availability for week one. And, uh, you know, your comments there certainly affirmed um, what McDermott said. And I think my correct uh, way of extrapolating what he was meaning by that. Um, So again, with your exposures to this football team and getting a chance to be around them, are there any players that you feel like the fan base just kind of has the wrong vibe on? Maybe they're kind of like soft-spoken in interviews and they're quiet on social media, but with the team, they're actually like a big personality that bring a lot of energy. This was a tough one Um, because I think that because of the access that that, the fans have to these guys through interviews and podcasts and all that kind of stuff, even the stuff the Bills put out, you have a really good idea about most of these guys, but I think one person that might fit here is Levi Wallace. I think that, and it kind of goes back to a little bit about what I was talking about with Tremaine Edmonds. There's some people that, you know, Levi's had struggles at times and people have really clung on to those things. But what I've been really impressed with, with Wallace, this training camp specifically is how much he's matured and how, you know, we were hearing it from, from, you know, Leslie Frazier and some of the other coaches about how much he's grown as a player and how he doesn't care about any of the outside noise or the competition that they bring in. He's focused on him, but then to see it, I'm telling you, Joe, we, when we had our press conference with, with Wallace, I mean, he was unflappable. I mean, there's a level of confidence that he has that you don't see in 10 year pros that still question things that they do. And he's still learning. And I think he'd be the first one to tell you he's nowhere near where he needs to be as a player. But like the mental part of the game is so important in how you're able to recover in moments of high stress. He is, he's, he's done nothing. We, I'm a big um, Dane Jackson fan. I've, I've put him over all off season. I think that I loved what I saw. I went back and watched the games that he started and I thought he was going to be, you know, the foil for Levi Wallace. And what did Levi Wallace do all training camp long? He laughed in everybody's face and proved why he should be the starting cornerback opposite Travis White. Now there's an injury issue there. We'll see how, how quickly he's able to come back. Dane Jackson's hurt as well. Taron Johnson. I wonder if he might not be the one that's out the longest. He's got a little bit of a, a wrist deal, and it, it looked like he had some type of wrap on it uh, the last couple of days. 
But Wallace is, a, for as much heat as he's taken in some of those bad games, you'd think that he'd, ha- he'd be a little bit more of a, on the meek side of things. He's not. He's, he has this quiet confidence that I think radiates. And I think that's one of the reasons why Trey White believes in him so much. Every time we've asked him about Levi Wallace the last couple of years, he's raved about the guy. And having that kind of guy, sometimes it's not, you're going to give up plays. I mean, we saw it yesterday, Trey White, you know, the missed tackle there in the hole, the one um, completion early on after the Cam Lewis, uh, completion against Cam Lewis. Even Trey White makes mistakes. But it's how you bounce back. It's your demeanor. It's your attitude. I think that you want guys that have Levi Wallace's attitude. So obviously you get a chance to talk to these players. And so, and you have a lot of experience, not necessarily with the Bills, but covering the UFC and different things that you've done in the past. So my, my next question is a two-parter. Who is your favorite active Buffalo Bills player to interview? And then extend that to your all-time favorite person to interview, which can include anything. Well, I'll, I'll start with my current um, favorites. Um, and I think what's funny is I've only actually interviewed Stefan Diggs one time uh, in person. It was his first um, press conference of this year, and it was great. I mean, he, he always gives you a great quote. He always has uh, a unique angle on things. He really thinks about the questions. And so I like that. And that's, if you go back to when he was in Minnesota and all the stuff that you probably read about him, myself included, you probably thought you were getting a certain kind of person in interviews when he came here, but he's been so great. I mean, so many great stories have been able to be written this last year. And I think his availability when you're actually talking to him with information, with you know, just opening up. I, I, I appreciate that. The other guy on the defensive side, and he's been my favorite, um, at, at least in the top tier since I got here, Micah Hyde. He's just like a regular guy, right? And you need those like regular guys when you're trying to do my job. Because sometimes when you get in there, there's there'll be a group that's really hesitant to say anything. There'll be a group that, you know, maybe young players that are still trying to feel things out and you know, there's a company line that they want to try to uh, uphold in interviews. A guy like Micah Hyde that's been through everything that he, he's been through. He's obviously a, a player rep for the, in the NFLPA. He has so much knowledge and information to share, and he's got a great personality that, you know, I think people forget about him a little bit because, you know, he's gone from a real, like, face of the franchise maybe in 17 18 when he first got here or at least in the conversation to not with josh allen and Diggs and all these uh you know higher trey white high profile players he's kind of dipped but he his interviews are top notch i mean i i love talking to him even yesterday like post-game press conference standing there sitting there next to josh allen that's not a great spot to be in for a player because you're you're probably not gonna get a ton of questions but he's so engaging that it, it you you just can't help but force your way back to him. You know what I mean? So he, I'd say those two guys, Lorenzo Alexander is my all-time favorite football player that I've covered without a doubt. Um, he was everything I was saying about Micah. I mean, he would really bring you into the rooms and that, that even more so than Micah, just because 
I thought that Lorenzo had such an understanding of so many facets of the game and or the uh, of the team because he was in so many meeting rooms. Um, all time favorite, all encompassing, Conor McGregor, dude. I tell people this story. I think I've told it on my own podcast before, but you know, being at the UFC when I was, was really just perfect timing. It was, I started in 2014, April, and that was just at the start of the ascent of Conor McGregor. Like I think he had just had one or two fights. And so within a year I was in Boston for his fight against Dennis Seaver. And I was doing a feature on him for that Saturday. And I met him at his gym that he was training at, uh, Peter Welch's boxing gym in Boston. I got to go in and see his personal sparring session right before the fight. So I watched that. Then I got in his limo bus that was just absolutely <laughs> decked to the nines, sat right next to him and interviewed him in front of his whole team. I wish I would have had somebody there to like just video the moment for myself because it was such a and to know like the trajectory of his career and the guy that he was like for all the bravado and all the silliness that you, you kind of see sometimes he was honestly one of the nicest one-on-one -on -one people that I've met in pro sports. And I think that's something that you could say about somebody that, you know, I'm sure that who knows what he's like now he's a bazillionaire. And that was at the beginning, <laughs> but even, even still, I've heard interactions that people have had behind the scenes with him have been really good. So that yeah, was really cool. So Matt, what is what is Sean McDermott like in practice? I mean, I'm <laughs> guessing there's a lot of clapping, but uh, what what are, what is he like? Is he consistent every day? And is there a particular position group that you feel like he spends most of his time with? So McDermott's never stationary, ever. He's always moving so much to the so much so that depending on the weather in a given practice, you can maybe even see like uh, an attire change, maybe twice in a practice. Like he might go from, you know, hoodie to like thinner, long sleeve. He might change hats. He might change, go from shorts <laughs> to pants. Like he's very he's always moving around. Like there's two fields at the at the field house there. And he's always moving around. Like you wouldn't expect him to be as in the weeds as he is. I don't think. And again, I've only covered, I, I wasn't here for Rex. I've only covered Sean McDermott and I've been to a few practices, but I, I haven't observed as, as well as I probably should have other head coaches, but he just, he, he coaches guys like in all areas. Like, you know, I was watching him a couple weeks ago and he had, um, there was just a, 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 a rep in special teams that, you know, it just didn't go the right way. And I can't get into like any of the details of it, but he pulled the player aside and I'm telling you like two minutes going through different scenarios, going through different uh, ways that they probably should have done that, whatever he took issue with differently. And I think that goes to show you that, you know, it's happened in the offense. I mean, a, a lot of times he spends a lot of time on the offense and defensive line. We know how, you know, passionate he is about the point of attack and so i think he always wants to make sure that at least he he puts some gloves on those moments and you know i think he has a lot of trust in his coaching staff particularly leslie frazier so i don't think that you know i i don't see it too often where you know he goes into the defensive line and, and starts chirping i mean they got eric washington there they got a lot of talent so he uses you know his 
where he picks his spots where he wants to kind of impart knowledge or work with guys. I will say this two two players in particular over the four years that I've always seen Sean really spend time with. And again, we're not close enough to really understand what what he's actually going over, but I'm talking about in just one-on-one time, Saran Neal and Taron Johnson. I think he's really passionate about, you know, and, and knowledgeable about that slot corner position. And so I think what he does, I mean, they created a slot corner, uh, nickel corner coach position uh, for Jim Salgado, but he he is in there and he's coaching them up. There's a specific thing that he wants to see there. And I'm not just talking about this training camp. I'm talking about, you know, since I got here, I've noticed that. I mean, spent a lot of time with Dean Marlowe as well before he left. Um, but he's super engaged, man. He's super, his fingerprints are all over this team. As I'm sure it's not a surprise. I mean, he's a really um, regimented, um, strict guy when it comes to the football process of it all. I mean, the way that he is in, in press conferences, I mean, it's that he just doesn't want to, you know, give anything away. And I can appreciate that as well, even though it kind of, it can get tiring at times for a from the journalist perspective, but no, he, uh, he's at, you'd want to talk about practice habits. I mean, that guy never ever is not completely a hundred percent locked in at practice. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he knows how to not be locked in. <laughs> Does this sound familiar? You've got one device that lets you catch the game live. Another that lets you stream your favorite shows. You're watching sports highlights on your phone and, You've got your neighbor's best friend's login for the good stuff. Well, I want to tell you about a simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites together like never before so you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. That means no more juggling remotes and no need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there's no annual contract. So get rid of the clutter and the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible device required. Content varies by package. Did you know that Built Bar has so many delicious flavors? There is something for everyone. They have coconut, salted caramel, strawberry, orange, cookies and cream, double chocolate, mint brownie, raspberry, cherry. So many delicious flavors. And look, maybe you don't know where to start. You can try them all with a mixed box. That's where you can get two of each of the nine flavors. Try them all and figure out which ones you like the best. And not only are Built Bars the best-tasting protein bars on the planet, they're healthy too. Check out these macros. 17 to 18 grams of protein. Calories range from 130 to 180. Only 4 to 5 grams of sugar and only 4 to 5 grams of net carbs. The flavors are amazing. They're all tasty and they're all healthy. Got a deal for you? Go to BuiltBar.com, use our promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. So we got some more stuff to get into here today with Matt Perino. And before we do, Matt, you do a lot of great work, uh, written work, Syracuse.com, the podcast, the video stuff. Where can fans find more of your work if for some reason they're not familiar at this point? Yeah, the shop podcast is uh, it's grown e- exponentially over the last year and a half. When we started it, I had grand plans for it when I got to the beat. And when COVID hit, we were just 
in the process of starting to put together the idea for it, we were going to like have it be a, like a live studio show, weekly show and, and have guests that way. Um, but COVID hit and everybody had to stay in their houses. So we launched it the way that we did and it's been great. And the cool thing, like we talked about at the start is that, you know, we've had to be the boots on the ground, the, you know, the eyes for Bill's mafia. And it's, you know, these periods of time, you know, training camp specifically in the spring, uh, during OTAs, we get to kind of bring what we see to you guys. And, uh, starting next week, we're going to get back into our interview series as well. Uh, we got a couple fun ones I'm working on. Um, uh, Adam shine from CBS sports, I think is going to join us. He's been a pretty big Josh Allen believer from the beginning so i think bills fans will appreciate that perspective and much more to come this season you know matt just remember that i was ryan talbot's co-worker before you were so you, know, <laughs> you, Listen, guys, you guys are awesome what's, together <laughs> what's funny about that is i don't think that there's ever been a person that's worked with ryan talbot that hasn't appreciated that time that they've had i've been really lucky to have these three years or yeah, three and a half years now with him. And he does such a great job, man. He hustles, he grinds. Talk about the ultimate grinder. Right. Give that award to Ryan Talbot. Just consistent, man. You know what I mean? Just everything he's supposed to do when he's supposed to be doing it the best he could possibly do it over and over and over again, man. I respect people like that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Leslie Frazier. And I've always been fascinated because he's the defensive coordinator but he also carries that title of assistant head coach. And so when you're watching practice, do you see him spending time with the offense or special teams, or is it just kind of defensive focus? Would you know by watching practice that he was the assistant head coach? Not really. Um, and I think that part of that probably has to do with the fact that Brian Dable, I mean, it's kind of his offense. You know what I mean? I think yeah. some of yeah. treats it that way. And so, you know, occasionally, I mean, honestly, I don't even see Sean on the offensive sideline a ton when they're doing 11 on 11. He's kind of, he's the middle ground. He's watching from behind the play. Um, Brian's got his offense or uh, on the one sideline and Leslie's got his defense on the other sideline. And again, there's so much experience on this coaching staff, staff and talent that like, you know, with what Brian and... Ken Dorsey and Shay Tierney, who you want to talk about an unsung guy. Shay Tierney is one of those guys that if you look up in five or six years and he's one of these Sean McVay, like, you know, uh, offensive coordinator, potentially turn head coaches, it would not surprise me. I mean, the guy does a little bit of everything. When I did that story on Davis Webb earlier this year, Hearing, I didn't even put some of the stuff that he was telling me about, about Shay Tierney in there, but that guy is Monday through Sunday, everything like from film, DB work, wide receiver work, involvement with the running game, coordinating with the running game, went back with uh, Brian Dable and Bobby Johnson, and then in there with, you know, working with Josh Allen, the backup quarterbacks, this dude is so dialed into to everything. And that's just, he's the... If you think about it, he's like the fourth guy on the rung. You know, it, you know what I mean in terms of Josh Allen. It's Dable, you know, it's Ken Dorsey, third guy in the rung, and then it's and then it's Shea Tierney. But I don't think there's a lot of room for Leslie Frazier uh, to go over there and and have a role just because the roles are so cemented, if you will. Uh, but he does a lot of stuff on the defensive side of the ball. I always see him with you know 
huddling with Eric Washington, huddling with Bob Babich. Um, there's a lot of talent. I was talking to Lovey Smith for a story last year. And I wanted to kind of track this a little bit more, but it just kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. And he called, he said that he thinks Bobby, uh, Bobby Babbage is the best linebackers coach in the NFL Wow, by a, by a lot. And, uh, I, he's a guy that, you know, you don't even think about really. I mean, you just kind of like, you know, blends in and they just have, they have so much talent from a coaching perspective that I don't think that that's necessarily needed. So not to get completely side railed here, but you peaked some thoughts in my head here uh, about the offense and the offensive coaching staff. And I don't know how Brian Dable's not a head coach. Uh, I mean, he, this guy's continues to run laps around people with his schemes and utilization of personnel. And then it seems like he's got a great personality and connects with players. Like, so there's nothing that makes sense to me about Brian Dable not being a head coach. And so I feel like it's inevitable. So when you think about, the way that this operation runs and how important Dable is. And you just said that the head coach and the assistant head coach, it's not, not so much that they don't have room for them on the offensive side of the football. There's also not a need for them to be over there. Right. How do you see this transition happening? Knowing that surely Dable's going to pluck some of these guys to go with him wherever he goes. Yeah, I, I could 100% see Dable getting a head coaching job and taking Tierney to be his offensive coordinator. Because I think that right now with the established relationship with Ken Dorsey, he probably makes the most sense as a um, uh, the plan after Dable moves on. Now, not to mention, like you see him getting the promotion of passing game coordinator. I I really do think that he's more in the weeds in terms of game planning and studying, you know, how they're attacking teams week to week with their, you know, what they come out with in terms of play calls in-game adjustments, everything like that. I almost feel like he's being um, primed for that. But Tierney is a guy that he, he has so much, you know, and I, if, if a Bills coaching uh, staff member right now is listening to this podcast, they're sitting there like, Perino, shut up. Don't talk <laughs> about Tierney. Do not talk about Tierney because this is a luxury like you mentioned. And I'm interested to see how this plays out because if the, if the Bills go – to the AFC championship game again, and they fake the, and teams are antsy again, and they don't want to wait on Dable. Like, I'm interested to see how this thing's going to work out. I think he's, if they have a year like they had last year, I don't see how it's even plausible not to wait for that. If, especially if you have a young quarterback or a plan to draft one. So yeah, it's going to be interesting, but I, I think this all is going to be kind of blown up here in the next couple of years. But the cool thing for the bills though, I think that McDermott and Bean, know that this is coming so you 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 know how prepared those two guys yeah, are they're yeah. already starting to kind of put plans in place i mean nobody saw ken dorsey coming and look at how well that's gone so there's probably another guy like that that they have already ear like you know kind of figured out that they want to go after once this plan kind of goes into place i think that's been my big talking point whenever i get asked about the succession plan at offensive coordinator i keep saying you know, Sean McDermott's not going to wake up one day and find out that his offensive coordinator is gone and he's going to be with his palms to the air trying to figure out who's going to run his offense. Like, this is definitely on his radar. It has been on his radar. There's going to be a plan. Um, so that that's just knowing McDermott, that's something we can all trust. Um, let me ask you this. As you reflect on training camp, and I, I guess we can say it's over now, the 2021 Bills training camp, was there a moment that stood out to you that was your favorite to observe that you were like, Hey, I'm glad I got to see that. 
Yeah. So the 16 straight Josh Allen completions on that on that one practice that I think sent Twitter into an absolute tizzy because he hasn't played in the hadn't played in the preseason, obviously. But like seeing being up close to the to football like that, to pro football like that, we, not a lot of people get to watch NFL games on the sideline, unless you're a coach or South Paccio, you know, I mean, it's, you know, <laughs> you don't get to experience the game that way. And what's where we're at in this bill bills regime and this group now that's been in place for you know three, four years, it's such a high level of competition that it turns into a real game environment. And I'm talking about from the way that Josh behaves, Diggs behaves, um, offensive linemen, but the coaching staff and the talking, like you'll hear, you know, chirping back and forth between coaches and players. You'll hear chirping back and forth between coaches. And it gets just really intense and really like, you know, your best versus their best. And you're seeing it on the practice field. And I guess in a lot of ways for me, growing up a Bills fan and around this franchise, those are the moments that I, I, I still feel something, you know what I mean? Like a, a, a level of appreciation and, you know, a sense of, of really humbleness and, and, and feeling lucky about what I get to do. Because if I was sitting around the dinner table with my grandpa 20 years ago, and I told him this was going to be my life in 20 years, he, mm. you know, he freaked out. So that's, that's probably it for me, man. Just getting a chance to see the the nuance to it and all of the little interactions that you don't ever really notice from the highlight clips and everything like that. You learn a lot about assistant coaches that you, you don't get a chance to be around in that setting. And it changes now because with training camp over, we don't get open practices like that. We get to go, go watch them stretch and the big in and stuff. But once they get into the padded stuff, we don't really get to see it anymore. And so it's almost like those 17, 18 days, whatever it ends up turning out to be, you got to really be dialed in from our perspective to be watching all of that because you get little clues about players and uh, about how coaches maybe even view players in the interactions. That is definitely stuff I can't report, but it's stuff. It's good stuff to have, you know, in the, in the back of my head as I'm talking about this, as I'm delivering analysis on this team. I get to just know that, Everything that I say, everything that is on my podcast that I write, you know, there's a level of, you know, research that's gone on in terms of watching this unfold and practice every day, stuff that you probably don't see me report that is helping me deliver information. So let me ask you this, and I, I know that you're aware of this, but I guess I'm interested in the practical application. The things that you say and the other Bills beat reporters say and tweet, I mean, they are those. That's powerful. Like you have the the ability to really impact narratives and and affect the way that fans who are absolutely in love with this football team, how they think about things and how they feel about things. And when that practice session's over, and we know that the beat reporters can tweet, and you start to see those initial just observations coming through. There are thousands of people that are just waiting for that. They cannot wait to get one little nugget from what the heck just happened for the last two hours. So I know that you're aware of this, but like knowing that, how does that impact what you say and write? Well, you always want to make sure that, you know, something I've learned in the 
four years now is that you don't want to include any hyperbole. You know what I mean? Like you want to make sure that what you're putting out there, especially from these practices that fans can't watch is something that, you know, really holds merit. Like, you know, the Jake Kumaro experience is the perfect example of it. Like, you know, I really guarded against too much hype around him at early part of camp because I wanted him to prove it first. You know what I mean? I wanted to see it multiple days. And as the practices go- went along, you really just started to notice that this wasn't just like a guy that was making some splash plays. This is a guy that Josh Allen was leaning on. I mean, when he was out there with him, he was he trusted him. He was getting the ball to him. He was targeting him. Kumaro, I think throughout camp, had one, maybe two drops. Like, that's a big deal. And so I definitely take that seriously. And I've been, and you know, a lot of times I think, you know, a lot, we get a lot of eye rolls sometimes too, because it is just practice, but it's practice. And, and I treat the practice environment the way that I do, because I know what Sean, Leslie and Brian think about it and the, and where they hold it in terms of its importance and how they evaluate their roster and their team. And so when big things happen on the practice field, when Dawson Knox drops an absolute dime that just hits him in the hands with nobody near him, you know, I know that that's going to be something that drives some of the narrative, but I think it, it would be irresponsible for me not to talk about that because it happened and it was a bad drop and it was one that I guarantee you when they get back in that meeting room, everybody in that meeting room is going to talk about it and how it's something they got to try to eliminate. So, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, though. Let's finish up with a couple of uh, COVID questions, if, if you will. Uh, Everybody's turning off the podcast now. No, no, and I don't. And if you're thinking about doing that, don't, because I, I'm going to ask Matt to be candid about some things and, and have some good conversations here. Let's first of all talk about COVID and how that's impacted your job. I think everyone's profession has been impacted in some way, shape, or form. What are those for you? And like, are there protocols that you have to deal with given your ability to be around the team? Yeah, so I have to um, get tested every two weeks. So I'll go to the Bills facility and uh, get a COVID test. Every day I got to take, I got to fill out a questionnaire before I enter the facility. Um, if, the, if the practice goes indoors, which it'll start to much more now, we're allowed to go in now this year every practice, but we have to wear a mask. We have to wear uh, one of those tracking devices just in case somebody does get COVID that they can track close contact get tags. So a lot of the stuff the players are doing, the rules around what they're they're able to, to do and how they're, uh, you know, the protocols they have to follow, we, we have the similar ones as well. Um, but I'd say the biggest impact of COVID on my profession has been the access. Like, I, I feel like in, in media circles, like every t- few years, like the, you know, the fact that reporters are in locker rooms like why do you have to be in locker rooms and like it's i always i I will be honest when i first started covering the nfl being in the nfl lock an nfl locker room was a bit like weird at first like it was just like you know you're walking around people are in towels like you know it's a very very busy scene when you're in there for like 20 30 minutes but what i've learned is it's it's just a place where you can be around the players in a very organic, real environment where a lot of times you build relationships. And so as a beat reporter, 
some of the, the best relationships that I've built with players, and you talk about Lorenzo Alexander, who has since retired, those were built in the locker room after practice. And right now, we don't have that. I mean, they're doing tent interviews, press conference interviews. And the problem with that as well is when Stefan Diggs comes to the podium, that's a story that everybody can write, right? Everybody in that press conference room, everybody watching the, the stream, they can all write some variation of that story. If I'm in the locker room and I'm able to talk to Jaquan Johnson off to the side for 20 minutes, that's a unique story that I can mm -hmm. tell. And then I can, I can use that interview to then springboard me to other players to then to get secondary interviews and, and bolster that story. If I get it. And in addition to that, if I get to have a good um, press conference interview with somebody and everybody has that, well, maybe that sparked an idea that I could springboard in the locker room and take a different angle on it with other players. You know what I mean? It's not available to us right now. And that's just the world that we live in. And, you know, we're making the most of it. And, um, you know, the, the, the profession is changing so dramatically. I mean, you know, I don't even what a being a beat reporter is in 2021 looks nothing like what it looked like in 2011. You know what I mean? 10 years ago. And so, you know, we, we try to embrace the technology. We try to embrace what fans want, listen to what fans want. But, yeah, it's been difficult, but it's been difficult for everybody. And a lot more professions have had it much more difficult. So the last thing I want to get into, Matt, is the vaccine the Buffalo Bills in press conferences. And obviously this has been a hot button issue for the Bills. I think courtesy of a few of the players being loud on social media with their opinions about the vaccine. And so how do you strike that balance between probing and asking questions to players and, and coaches regarding the vaccine? Because it, it matters for this team. It matters for the NFL season this year. And then, you know, being mindful of football questions, and I'll go ahead and bring up last week on Thursday when you know Isaiah McKenzie shares that he's been fined, uh, and, and the entire letter on Twitter. Cole Beasley chimes in. You're hearing from John Feliciano again on this stuff, and then McDermott meets the media a few hours later, and a large percentage of the beginning of that press conference was was vaccine questions, and and that makes a lot of sense given what just transpired and what has transpired. But I think in the in the back of a lot of people's minds was okay. Those questions were asked, but you know, it, it, there's a preseason game coming up. McDermott said on Thursday he would share if Josh Allen was going to play and other starters or so, several players that were injured, and that was reserved. His comments for that was reserved for the you know the the last five ten percent of the press conference. And so, how do you strike this balance, Matt? I don't envy where you're at. I know that there was some criticism for the way that that press conference went, but. You know, I think about even on Saturday after the Packers game, McDermott was asked a question about Isaiah McKenzie coming through with getting the vaccine. And he was just like, with all due respect, he didn't want to talk about it. So how do you strike all this balance, knowing how hot button about how much of a hot button issue it is? It's important, but it seems like there's a high level of annoyance, if you will, from both the people you're asking and the audience regarding these questions. I, I don't envy it, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you have to say about all this. So what's unique about this situation is it's a national story. So I think from that perspective, you have to remember that at the start, right? John Warrow, who works for the Associated Press, he's not just writing for Bills fans. He's writing for the globe. Associated Press stories get carried in, in pretty much every major media market in the world. So I think that's something that gets forgotten a little bit. 
where I come from, I feel like we all fall into different buckets in terms of our demographics, like who we're writing for, what our actual job is. I've asked COVID-related questions. Do you know why? Because it's going to affect football, probably. I mean, it did last year. It affected you know, the Bills in a negative way. I mean, it, you, you go in and ask Cole Beasley the week of the Tennessee debacle what he thought about COVID, and he would have had probably some thoughts about it. And so I think from that perspective, it's, to your point, figuring out how to make sure that it is meeting the football criteria to a degree. Now, press conferences are press conferences. Part of it is Sean McDermott has been so forthcoming with information about this that, you know, he's kind of cultivated uh, a pretty healthy back and forth, a dialogue on the topic. And I, I give him credit for that because I don't think that's happening everywhere, but also everywhere you're, you're not dealing with a situation like they're dealing with where there's such a, a strong, you know, outspoken uh, collection of players that are really, you know, have beliefs that fly in the face of what Sean McDermott believes. Obviously he came out and said, I believe in the vaccine. I think people should get va vaccinated. Um, part of the problem with what you mentioned, and I know that some fans take issue with, all right, let's get to the football questions. Sean McDermott doesn't talk as much as most coaches talk. So if he would have talked on Wednesday and Thursday, like I could go find 10 examples in the NFL of coaches that talk four or five times during the week, during, tr during training camp three, um, let's not even say that. Like, but let's just say two or three times. Sometimes we only get Sean once in a week, you know, some of the football questions would have been covered. And that was going, once those tweets went out, once the news broke of <clears throat> McKenzie and Beasley getting fined, that was going to be a, 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 the predominant topic at that press conference. And I didn't ask a single question in that press conference because you, you also kind of read the room a little bit. There's, there's people that are, are chasing, shouldn't even say chasing, that are covering that story specifically for their outlet that day, right? Four people work for the Buffalo News. Jay Skirsky asked four or five questions about that. He was writing a COVID-related story for that day. That's his job. That's a directive from his boss. And so if I have a football question, yeah, I'm going to try to get it in. My main interest in that uh, of that press conference from a football perspective was, is Josh Allen going to play? Sal asked it. So I already kind of started writing my own story and, and moved on. So there's like a, there's like a, a, a dance that we all do. You know what I mean? It's some days, some people will ask more questions. Some days, other people will ask more questions. I get the frustration, but I guess I would just say in defense of that particular press conference, Buffalo Bills football fans weren't necessarily the demographic, the only demographic being considered when, or audience being considered when those questions were being asked that that was serving a much larger, greater good, if you will. Matt, I appreciate that answer. I, I think it helps shed some light on those dynamics and help me gain perspective on, you know, what everyone's thought process is going into something like that and why it would go the way that it is. Now, I guess the challenge is moving forward. If, <laughs> if things come up, which I think everybody, including beat reporters with no rooting interest in the team whatsoever. I don't think anybody wants to continue this conversation. So hopefully everything subsides and um, we're able to have a smooth season. And obviously I cannot wait to uh, continue following your coverage, Ryan's coverage as well uh, through a season where I think expectations are really, really high and, and everyone's pretty excited about this football team. And 
I managed to steal probably double the time I told you I, I, I was going to ask for today. Uh, that's your fault for being so interesting and thorough with your answer. So don't be mad at me. But uh, thanks so much for your time, Matt, and uh, have a great season. And I look forward to following all your work. Thanks for having me, my man. Take care. All right, folks, that's going to do it for us here today on the podcast. And it's going to be a busy week. The Bills don't play on Sunday. They play the following Sunday. But we have final cuts coming, which could mean trades and all kinds of different personnel moves. And so I'm looking forward to those coming through and talking about them with you here on the podcast. And, of course, I've got some creative stuff coming your way this week as well. So don't miss it. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review, and share the podcast. And I look forward to catching up with you again tomorrow.